When we think of hope, we often think of whimsical thinking, of a cross your finger, I, I hope so. But that's not what the Bible talks about when the Bible speaks of hope. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's speaking of a sure confidence. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's speaking of something that's certain and true. But if your hope is just a whimsical thought or a crossing of your fingers, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope. We're going to feel a financial crisis. Some have already felt so. They bought homes that were expensive in a pandemic at a lower interest rate that they thought they could afford. And now with inflation and higher interest rates, they're about to end into financial crisis and they'll feel moments of despair and distraught. Sometimes it comes because of a diagnosis. Someone has heard something ill of their health, heart condition, cancer, and because of that, they lose hope. Sometimes it's career. You think everything's going well, you sit down for your annual review and you're actually being told you're let go. And it's easy to lose hope, especially when your hope is anchored in that which is temporal. Listen to this from Soul Asylum. It seems no one can help me now. I'm in too deep. There's no way out. This time, I've really led myself astray. Runaway train, never going back. Wrong way on a one-way track. Seems like I should be getting somewhere. Somehow, I'm neither here nor there. Can you help me remember how to smile? Make it somehow all seem worthwhile. How on earth did I get so jaded? Life's mystery seems so faded. If you go on the Stats Canada website, you'll find out that suicide is the number two cause of death for young people. Higher among women between ages 11 and 20, 11 and 19, than a young men, but then it reverses and men are higher, 19 and older. These are just from 2022 stats. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among our young people. Ed Sheeran writes this. Well, he sings it. I'm going to read it. You'll be blessed because I'm reading it, not because I'm singing it. Life can get you down, so I just numb the way it feels. I drown it with a drink and with out-of-date prescription pills. And all the ones that love me, they just left me on the shelf. My farewell, so before I save someone else, I've got to save myself. With made-in-place medical aid in dying, in 2022, it was listed that one in five Canadians said that the significant cause of them choosing to die was loneliness and isolation. One in five Canadians. You can read that again on our government's website. One in five Canadians choosing that. So where is our hope? Where is our hope? I mean, maybe you've been going through a difficult time. Maybe things have been challenging. Maybe you found yourself struggling with despair, anxiety, depression. Maybe your life has been shattered in some ways, and you're asking, where is my hope? Well, I want you to join me about 2,000 years ago to a young man who's learned that his fiancée is pregnant. It's Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. The verses will be up, but 
Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I'll pause there. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, but in doing so, at several junctures through his uh, gospel, he's addressing the Jews about the fact that Jesus is coming and he's the Messiah. So here, in this moment, he wants everyone to know that this Jesus who's coming is the Messiah. It's the account of how this came about. Mary's pledged to be married to Joseph. So even though it says he's her husband, um, in the Jewish culture and tradition, when you were engaged, you were treated as if you were married. So they're pledged to be married, which means that people would refer to them as husband and wife, though we would never do that. In their culture, they would. But before they come together, before they've been married, before they've come together in union, it's found out that she's pregnant, and Matthew's very clear here, through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So imagine you're Joseph. They're probably between 15 and 19 years of age. They're definitely teenagers. And you believe that Mary, your fiancée, is incredibly godly. Everything you've seen about her seems to indicate that. And now she's pregnant. And she's not only pregnant, but she blamed God for it. I mean, guys, if any of you had a fiancé who told you she was pregnant and you knew you didn't sleep with her, and then she said, God did it. You all just got what I'm doing here, right? This is what Joseph is going through. We often don't understand this. She's come to him to explain that she's pregnant and that the Holy Spirit is the one who has granted her to be with child. That God has done this because through her, Messiah will come. And Joseph's like, come on, Mary. Not only did you cheat, but now you're lying about it. And you're blaspheming our God. He's heartbroken. He's devastated. He's lost all hope. But because of his love for God, and because he's a respectable man, though he's young, he's going to do this quietly to not bring her great disgrace. After he had considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph sleeping, an angel appears while he's sleeping and says, Joseph, son of David. Why is that important? The Messiah was to come from the line of David. The Messiah was to come from David's lineage. God had promised that the line of David would never end. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, one whose lineage can be traced back to the great king. Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. Why is that mentioned here? Do you know whenever God calls you to something, regardless of how ridiculous it seems, if God has called you to it, you don't need to be afraid? Joseph, it's God. Well, it's an angel speaking to God. Speaking to Joseph, sorry. Don't be afraid. I don't know what it is God might be calling you to in life right now. Maybe it's the witness to a colleague or a neighbor or a friend over Christmas. Maybe it's reaching, I, I spoke at Mac on Friday night to the Chinese Christian Fellowship, and my talk was on the authority of Scripture, and they did Q&A after. They could just kind of ask me any question they wanted to, and, and as the questions were coming up, something was around the Islamic faith and the Christian faith and the difference between the Quran and the Bible, and I've read the Quran multiple times, and so I engaged in conversation, and I said, what would it look like if your group decided, because it was all Asian, just so you know, um, except one person in the room, right? And I said, what would it look like if your group decided to engage the Arabic population here on campus? And if I came back in two years and half of this room was Chinese and half of the room was Arabic, who'd come to faith in Christ because of what God had done. And students came to me after saying, that would be terrifying. I said, well, if God's calling you to it, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. The angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid. And then he explains what's happened. Um, Mary told you the truth. What's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to save people from sin. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save people from sin. Why this? Why this? Wasn't there another way? Couldn't God have saved us in some other way? Why the death of God the Son? Why did he have to incarnate himself? Why did someone, God himself, have to become fully human? You ever ponder that? Why couldn't there be a different way? Why couldn't God have forgiven us differently? Why was this the only way? Did you hear this? Why was this the only way? Well, humanity had sinned. God had created us, granted us opportunity to choose him forever and ever. Adam chose to sin and spiral all of humanity into this mess. Humanity, creation, the universe, into this sinful mess. And because the wages, the penalty, the punishment for sin is death, and all of us then choose sin over God, because that is true, humanity deserved death, deserved the wrath of God. But because of God's great love for us, God wanted us to be able to be in relationship with him. God wanted us to be able to know him. So humanity deserved to die. God's wrath upon us. God wanted us to live. So the only way this could happen was if a second Adam, spoken about in Romans, a second Adam came and could represent humanity. But the only way that could happen is if that second Adam could live a perfect life. If that second Adam could come down and absorb the wrath of the Father. If that second Adam could be fully human. And so God the Son came down. He cloaked his deity with humanity. This is one of the reasons we know life begins at conception. If Jesus could have been fully human by being a one-year-old or a five-year-old or coming as an adult. God might have done that. 
But for Jesus to be fully human, the Holy Spirit conceived him in a woman's womb to demonstrate that life begins at conception. And as a fully human being, he's born of a Virgin Mary. This is really important. He lives a sinless life. Today we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to hold a piece of bread. And what does Jesus say? This is my body. Given for you. The righteous life of Christ is just as critical as his shed blood. Had Jesus not lived a perfect life, he couldn't be the second Adam. Had Jesus not lived a perfect life, he couldn't have represented us. Had Jesus not lived a perfect life, he couldn't have absorbed the wrath of the Father. Had Jesus not lived a righteous life, he wouldn't have been raised to life again. The righteous life of Christ is critical to our faith. You see, God chose to work in history. I've said this before, but most of the world religions are isms. And when you take away or apart some of their philosophy, their, their ideology still remains intact. But you do that with Christianity. You take the virgin birth out of Christianity, and it falls apart. I may have said this before, I don't remember, but Larry King was once asked if, if he could interview anyone in history, who it would be. He said, that's easy. I would interview Jesus Christ, and I'd only ask him one question. Are you indeed virgin-born? He said, the answer to that question would explain everything to me. Everything. Mary, she's going to give birth to a son, Joseph. What's in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to give him the name Jesus. He's going to come to save you from your sin. Is that not great news? I remember a number of years ago reading this. It was pre-cell phone days. The gentleman had to probably use some type of walkie-talkie system. It was a Norwegian fisherman. He was fishing on the ice off the shores of Norway. The big chunk of ice he was on broke loose, taking him out into the ocean. As he's there, heading out into the ocean, he dialed for help, 911, Norwegian style. Right? The Coast Guard came and rescued him and his dog and his sled. They knew this. He knew this. He was going to die if someone didn't come to rescue him. You might remember Hurricane Katrina, where there are video images you can see online of people on their roofs, families on their roofs, waiting for someone to rescue them as the water was rising rapidly around them. And if someone didn't come and rescue them, they were going to die. You can watch dramatic rescues of it. That's what Jesus had done. He's come to rescue us from our sin. We need a Savior. His name is Jesus. We can never enter into God's presence on our own. We can never be good enough for Him. And so Jesus came on our behalf. He takes our sin upon Himself so that anyone, anywhere, anytime who believes in Him can have eternal life. J.I. Packer says this, The Christian message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in the stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. We can be saved. 
This week, I will be both in Vancouver and Newfoundland. I've never been coast to coast in one week. I will see two oceans in one week. And while I'm in Newfoundland, a gentleman by the name of Kesevon, uh, uh, I could never say his last name right, but uh, Balasaham is going to be there with me. Kesevon's a pastor. He was born to a Hindu home in Toronto. At 19 years of age, he murdered a man. Gang-related. Two weeks before, one of his best friends had been left in critical condition because of the other gang. They found out where the other gang was. They showed up. Shots were fired. Kesevan was shot in the arm. The other man was killed. Young man. And Kesevan went to jail. And while he was in jail, a chaplain worker came and shared the gospel with him. Faithfully, continually, and God saved him. And now he's pastoring in Toronto, and he'll be with me in Newfoundland this week as we're examining some opportunities there. Later on this year, we're going to have a, a, a conference for high school students at Redeemer. Um, Paul Carter, some of you know him, myself, Robbie Simons are going to be the speakers, and Kasevin's going to come and share his story with the youth. And I can't wait to be with him this week. I so enjoy just fellowshipping with him. Do you know God can save anyone? God can save anyone. God didn't say, you murdered a man. You're, you're not worthy of my kingdom. You murdered a man. I can't let you in. I mean, God not only saved him, but he's allowed him to serve him in ministry as a pastor of a church, a growing church in Toronto, because God can redeem anyone from anywhere. He's our God. Although I was speaking on the authority of Scripture on Friday night, and it went a long time, I, I was given 75 minutes. At the 90-minute mark, I said, should I stop? And they surveyed the room because they had way more people come than they thought, and they said, no, no one wants to leave. And so I just kept answering questions until I was well over the two-hour mark. And then I finally just wrapped it up myself and said, you've listened to my voice way too long. Let's just end. And then the lineup of students was massive, and I just stood there for an, over an hour talking to students who were coming up to me with question after question. But so many of them were around this, were around, how, this is what I've done, Dwayne. How do I know I'm saved? This is what's happened. How do I know God's good with me? Because your acceptance in God's kingdom has everything to do with what Jesus has done. We need a Savior. It's got nothing to do with what you have done. Your acceptance into the kingdom of God, good news of great joy, is that Jesus has come to save his people from their sin. We need a Savior. And whether God gripped your heart as a four-year-old or whether you've murdered a man and you hear the gospel in prison, God is able to save because salvation rests in what his accomplished work has done through his Son, our Savior, Jesus. And his blood is enough, is it not? His blood is enough. It is the good news of the gospel for all who believe. Oh, as the Spirit of God works in us, of course we need to repent. Of course we need to turn from our sin. But even our faith is a gift from God. Verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's quoted from Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God has come down. Emmanuel, Jesus, in whatever Trinitarian conversation they had, says, I'll cloak my deity with humanity. I'll come down and live among them. I will live a righteous life, and then I will give my life up for theirs on a cross as you pour your wrath out on me, Father. I will go through hell on the cross so that humanity doesn't need to. For any who believe, it is the good news of the gospel. I am spared the wrath of God because Jesus went through it on the cross. I need not experience his wrath. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is your hope. He is your hope. And he unshakably doesn't change. He is your hope when there's financial calamity. He is your hope when your health is ailing. He is your hope when your career is falling apart. He is your hope. He is your hope. Is it not good news? And he is the sovereign I am who unshakably is in control of the universe whom you can turn to at any time and say, God, I need you. And he says, I'm right here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. John reminds us of this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the word. The spoken word became the living word. He is the word. The word became flesh. He tabernacled. He dwelt among us. Well, verse 24 of Matthew 1. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. Took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is obedient. Now I want you to think about this. Here is an incredibly godly couple who love Yahweh deeply. How do we know that? I mean, who do you think God would entrust his son to? Who do you think Jesus would say, I'll let them raise me. I'll let them change my diaper. I'll let them burp me. I'll let her feed me. I'll let them teach me how to put on my sandals. This was a really godly couple. And Joseph knew everyone would do the math. Everyone would know she was pregnant. When, when it's talking about her pregnancy in this, it's, it's the idea is she's starting to show, right? They find out she's pregnant. People, she's starting to show. She's told Joseph, but she's starting to show. And so people are going to start to talk. They weren't as godly as we, as we thought. These weren't the people we thought they were. Their parents, their mom and dad, who thought this was a godly Jewish young couple, embarrassed, Upset, ostracized. Jesus called the son of illegitimacy. And when Joseph decides to obey God, he knows all of that will be true. He knows he will be ridiculed and mocked. He knows that people will tell him he's not godly and unholy. He knows all of that. But he remembers what the angel said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph. God's got this. Because God's got you.
Don't be afraid, Joseph. God's got this. Because God's got you. Because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That's our hope in Advent. Emmanuel has come. That's our hope in Advent. Jesus has come to save us from our sin. That's our hope in Advent. The Messiah is here. So three things. As I close pastorally, so it's going to take me a minute to close as I say that. One, you don't need to fear God's calling. Don't be afraid. I mean, you heard Chris and the team talking about Columbia. Maybe next year, if groups of you go, there'll be some of you going with them. Maybe God's going to call you over this season to witness to someone, to share faith with someone. Maybe he's asking you to leave a vocation for something else. I don't know. If God's asking you to do it, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Remember what Mary said to the angel? May your word to me be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have said. God is our hope. He's our hope. R.C. Sproul said this, Hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which, which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. Don't be afraid. Two, Jesus saves from sin. Jesus saves from sin. As we come to the table in 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us that we're to examine ourselves. We're to examine ourselves. It means if we're not a believer, that we're to pass the plate and not partake of the bread and the cup. But even today, God can save you. Even today, the good news is God can change your heart. Even today, if you're sitting here and you know you're not a believer, you can turn to him as your hope. He loves to save. God loves. He delights to save. He took your place on a cross as the wrath of the Father was poured out on him so that anyone who believes in him, so that if today you believe in him, he will grant you eternal life. It is the good news of the gospel. And you may have come in here today not knowing him. You can leave here today knowing he is your Savior knowing that he loves you. And maybe you've been walking in unrepentant sin. Maybe as a Christian, you know you haven't honored God with your wealth. You've been greedy. You haven't been tithing. You haven't been giving him your first fruits. Maybe you know you've been proud. You've been arrogant. You've been bitter. You've been unwilling. There's people you're not going to invite over for Christmas because of resentment. It's sin. Even today, you can repent of that sin, whatever it is. You can come before him and say, as you examine yourself, God, this is what I've done. He loves to save us from our sin. Is that not good news? Because he's Jesus who saves from sin. And thirdly, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He will never leave or forsake you. That's what he says in his resurrected body where he says all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him, and he commissions us out into the world to make disciples. He reminds as this great commission is bookend, bookended, first by his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with you. God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He loves you, and he is with you. God forsook his son, the father forsook his son on the cross. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that he could welcome us into his family as his children. Jesus went through a God-forsakenness on the cross that believers never need go through. Never need go through. I can't explain what happened there. I can just tell you that somehow the perfect communion that the Father and the Son and the Spirit always enjoyed was interrupted as the Father's wrath was poured out on the Son. And he called out, Father, why have you forsaken me? But I know this, that he was forsaken so we could be welcomed in. And so Jesus could declare that he will never leave or forsake you. He's always with you. Praise his name. Always with you. I don't believe I've told this illustration, but if I have, I'm sorry. I dug through my notes. I remember when Tim came to faith in Christ. He grew up in our youth group from a non-Christian home. He was sitting at the back of our youth most nights of 60 or 70 youth with two of his friends. And as we shared the gospel, he'd mock us at the back sometimes and make fun of us. And then when they were 18, they kind of checked out of everything because they were also aging out of youth. And then one night, he and his buddy showed up at my door, and they were crying. And when three 19-years-old guys show up at your door, and they're all athletic, and they're crying, I assume someone's died. And they just said, our lives are such a mess. We hate them. Do you have time to tell us about Jesus once more? And I said, I do. It was a Saturday night. They came in the house. I spent some time with them and then offered to run a Bible study for them. They started to come. Tim's two friends soon checked out, but Tim came week after week. A guy who had a hard time reading anything in high school, now devouring his Bible. He comes one week. He says, Dwayne, I'm struggling with employment. I got to figure this out. So I thought, I'll go to the Bible for help. I looked in it. I found this book of job. And I thought, wow, a book about employment. I opened it up. I'm reading the book. I thought, sample resume. Like, he's like, Dwayne, none of that. Like, this is about a guy who, you know, Satan and God make this deal. He said, what's going on? Why is it called job? I said, well, it's actually called Job. He said, listen, I'm not overly intelligent, but I can read three-letter words, Dwayne. God saved him, married a godly woman. They're still a part of James North. I saw him at a funeral recently. And when their daughter, who's now, I don't know, 18, was born, I remember being in the hospital. I'm there in the hospital with them. It was when pastors could still go in, and I'm holding her, I'm about to pray, and he says, before you pray, before you pray, my daughter gets to be raised in a Christian home. Praise the name of the Lord. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. It is the good news of the gospel. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He went through a God-forsakenness so that he could welcome you in. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, he is there for you because he loves you. And he is the unshakable I am of the universe who holds it by his might and will. He is God. He is God the Son. And he is our hope. He is our anchor. He is our certainty. He is our future. Johnny Erickson Tata says this, the best we can hope for in this life is a, null, is, is a knothole peak at the shining realities ahead, yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. And so as you celebrate this Christmas, as you begin to prepare for the festivities, as you begin to think about the gatherings, oh, 
May Jesus be your hope. May he be Emmanuel, God, with you. May you hear him say, don't be afraid. May you know that he's your Savior because he's God come down, the hope of the world. We're going to transition now. We're going to celebrate a table. We're going to celebrate a table that reminds us that Jesus died for us, that because his righteous life was enough, he bore the wrath of the Father on the cross for us, that he took our place on that cross. And as we gather today, I want you to celebrate that this is remembering he's Emmanuel, God with us, that this is remembering he's Jesus who saves us from our sin. You don't need to be a member of West Highland Baptist. In fact, I won't be a member until tonight. So you don't need to be a member of West Highland Baptist to take this today. You just need to be someone whom God has saved. Someone who you know that God has worked in your heart and life with, and you know that God has saved you. And if that's true of you, we invite you to take this today. And if you're not saved today, we invite you just to pass this by to the person beside you. But if today God has spoken to you, if his spirit has worked within you, I'd love to share the gospel with you. Pastoral staff here and elders would love to share the gospel with you. Listen, if you want to come to the front and you want to talk to one of us, even any of the men or women that are serving, we'll find someone else to serve. If today you want to talk to one of them to know who Jesus is, because he would love to save you today. And if you're walking in unrepentant sin in this moment, come before our God asking him for forgiveness, turning from that sin and trusting him as the one who cleanses perfectly. Your salvation does not rest on what you've done, but on what Christ has done. And for that we say, God, thank you, and amen. And so may we celebrate the goodness of our God today, our hope, who cloaked his deity with humanity, and was born of a virgin. And as we go, would you hear this from the word of God, from Isaiah chapter 9, we've heard it read already as our benediction. To us a son is born, a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? Amen. Have a great day in the Lord.